And welcome back to the Bible Information Brokers. My name is Brian Allen with Professor Craig Hawkins. Uh, let me give you the toll-free number. We're on our second uh, second half of the show, second hour of the show. One triple eight LA talks. One triple eight five two eight two five five seven. Ladies and gentlemen, if you uh, have a question about the Bible, just from reading your Bible, just from talking to someone who might have a question about the Bible, uh, talking to an atheist friend, uh, a Mormon, a Jehovah Witness, uh, someone who's in a non-Christian uh, religion, a uh, Buddhist, Hindu, um, and and you've had conversations with them, give us a call. If there's something in church you heard and you aren't quite sure and you feel a little funny about what was being taught, uh, give us a call, one triple eight la talks That's why we're here, okay? Take advantage of it, one triple eight la talks one triple eight five two eight two five five seven. Craig, you ready for another uh, sec for another hour? Yes, indeed, Brian. Well, you know, there's a passage, Craig. It says, uh, "What profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his soul?" You know, and we could take that a step further. You know, what profit is there? at all you know whether someone has all the riches in the world or doesn't have any riches in the world but what profit the man if he loses his soul craig and uh why don't you talk about that a little bit well sure brian especially in light of our discussion celebrating the 500th anniversary of the protestant reformation and, and we're not certainly against people prospering financially and doing well uh, we have no qualms with that per se as long as it's done honestly Oh, or, or, you know, with education or any other thing, types of achievement. But those things, our point would be, can't save you. They, they can't bring you ultimate fulfillment, contentment, happiness. We're all looking for identity, for purpose, for significance, for belonging. And we, we different degrees, of course, of that. But those are all basic human desires and aspirations. We all have that. And we all fail. No matter what we do, no matter what we achieve, we always want more. It's, it's never enough, like drug-taking or anything else in life, you get what you think would make you happy, and it doesn't make you happy, so you think, well, more of it will make me happy. And you get more of it, and it still doesn't make you happy. You think of someone like Solomon, who had literally everything, and he never found fulfillment and happiness until he returned to God and realized it's about a relationship with God. And, and so, Brian, there's two issues here. One, what brings one fulfillment and contentment? And there's an even a deeper issue, if you will, and that is, look, you're all walking around with a fatal disease, the SIN disease. We all need, if you will, not just a bypass or a triple or quadruple bypass. We all need, actually, a heart transplant. We need a new heart. We need to be changed. We need to be transformed. And this isn't some work that we do, some program, some self-help. You can do it. Uh, pull yourself up by your own bootstraps, Horatio Alger story. This is what God has done for us. Look, there are things we can and should do in our lives and not ask others or look to others to do for us. Uh, but there are some things we simply cannot do, and this is one of them. You can't pay the penalty for your sins, for your transgressions, against a completely holy and righteous and just God. See, God's not just a little more holier than you. He's not just a little better than you. He's infinitely better than you and me. That's the point. We can never measure up to his standard. His standard is 100 absolute perfection. So absolutely, Brian, the news people need to hear is the meaning, the purpose, the significance they're looking for in life and they've tried to find and 
and whether it's athletic achievement, achievements or accolades from others, uh, fame, fortune, it's just not to be found there. People in Hollywood are some of the most miserable people on the face of the earth, and you see that by their lives and by their uh, abusive drugs and alcohol and everything else. They're, they're not putting them down. They're like the rest of us. Uh, the, but they've been told if you, uh, if you uh, achieve fame and fortune, that, then that's it. You're, you've arrived. But they get there and they realize, I've not arrived. Uh, because arrival is only found in Jesus Christ. It may sound simplistic, but I'm speaking from years of experience of living life, and years and years of study. It is found in a personal relationship with God. He has done for you what you cannot do for yourself. And so, Brian, it's not that we can't appreciate things and enjoy things and even enjoy the finer things in life. You and I like nice restaurants and the finer things in life. But there's no problem with those things. But those things bottom line can't. They not only will not, they cannot bring you happiness. They cannot bring you fulfillment, contentment, and they cannot pay for your transgressions. That's number one. And number two is they cannot pay for your transgressions against a holy and righteous and infinitely good, not just good, but infinitely good God. But the good news is God has done that for us. He's paid the penalty. He, if you will, done the time, if I can put it that way. He's paid the penalty, and we were made, answering number two, and number one is fulfillment, contentment was only to be found. We were made for relationship, for fellowship with God, and a personal relationship with God, with the Lord Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. By trusting in Him, committing to Him, is the only place you're going to find life. You know, there's a movie out has come out that uh, Greg Glory helped produce, and that's uh, regarding Steve McQueen, Brian. And in the day, Steve McQueen was like... Uh, Number one in Hollywood for oh, yeah. these roles. You know, he was the leading actor, if you will, the guy that got the most money and people wanted to star in their films. And even Steve McQueen, with all of his fame and fortune, never found happiness until later in life, until he trusted in Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior. There's a movie out now about it. It was a great life. movie, too. Yeah, so Brian, so there you go. You know, he, I mean, he had it all. By the worldly standards, Steve McQueen had it all the good looks, uh, the acting career, uh, the wealth, you name it. And he never found fulfillment, never found contentment, until he trusted in Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior. My friend, if you're at that place of life, well, then we pray you do it now. But if you're younger, I would say don't wait. Don't wait till the end of your life. Do it now. Find meaning. Find purpose. Find significance. And forgiveness from a holy and righteous God, because you are one heartbeat away from a Christless eternity. Make your life count. Make it worthwhile. We're not saying an easy life. We're not saying you're going to become a Christian and life's going to go easy and be wonderful in the sense of you're going to have fame and fortune and all that. We're not saying that. In fact, your life actually may have been fairly easy up until now, and it's about to get a whole lot different. But it is the truth, and it will bring you fulfillment, joy, peace, and righteousness. With nothing else, your money, your fame, your fortune can't buy you. It's found only in Christ. And life, and that more abundantly for all eternity, is found in Him. Trust in Christ. Submit to Him and know that He gives you eternal life. Amen. Thank you so much for that, Professor. Uh, Craig, we got an email question. Um, uh, I do want to say, you know, it, it just hit me again. It's, it's so, you know, what the professor just said. It's just so, so, so important. You know, tomorrow's not promised. The next minute yeah. is not is not promised. So... It's something you don't want to play around with, you know. If if uh, uh, you know if, gosh, if you listen to those words and heard those words, you know, it's uh, it is so true. And you know, eternity is too long to be wrong. Eternity, you guys, eternity is too long to be wrong. 
And uh, I just pray for those out there that don't know Christ, uh, that you definitely need to come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ and accepting Jesus as Lord and Savior in your life. And if you have, give us a call. Give us a call on the, on the air. Let's talk about it. one la talks one 528 Great. We got an email from uh, uh, Norman from Lakewood. I know Norman. Good guy. He says, hi, Craig. Uh, glad you made it back safe. And I think this had to do with last week, but I don't know if it got answered or it was a topic. Um, but he sent it today. Um, it says, uh, uh, glad you made it back safe. The question was raised tonight, and I guess dealing with last week, concerning light existing before the sun, which seems to contradict science. But when we go to Revelation 21, 23, it says that in the city of God, there's no need of the sun for the glory of God did lighten it and the lamb is the light thereof. Therefore, interpreting the Old Testament in light of the new, couldn't we explain this seeming contradiction by saying simply that like in Revelation 21, 23, there is no need of the sun because God is already light coming to the creation of of the universe, et cetera, and there is no need of the sun. Thank you. Uh, yeah, Norman, that, I mean, that's a great point. It's a possibility, but that's in the new heaven. It doesn't say uh, throughout the whole universe. Um, and so it is a possibility, but it's not just the New Testament interpreting the old. It, the, I would argue there's different Hebrew words used, and so it actually the, the, the stars and, and whatnot that give light, in this case the sun, uh, or already made, and so there's a difference between something being made versus revealed. And again, I use the example of, as simple as it was of Plato, uh, literally the stuff, not Plato the philosopher, but Plato, the, the to- stuff you can make stuff out of. You can have the raw Plato, and it's not in a form, it's just a blob, and then you make something out of it. Well, let's say you make a giraffe, okay? You make some type of giraffe out of the Plato. Well, the material that the draft is made out of was already there, but then you actually fashion it. So there's these various Hebrew verbs, kana, bara, that are used and others, and those are what are going on there. So it's possible, but I, I wouldn't go there. I, I, it just sounds like we're just trying to be evade the issue of, look, how do you have light without stars? Um, but, but the point would be is, in this case, the stars were already made. They're on the first day, but they're revealed. It's a question of, it's kind of like, let me use the analogy here. So it's possible what you said, but again, it doesn't say God's going to light up the whole universe, but certainly he's going to give light in some sense, and there are other sources, of course. There's all kinds of things we don't know in physics. I have to chuckle. Uh, in many ways, I mean, they still don't know what actually holds things together, and they can use various terms and all that, but they basically don't know. They don't even understand gravity. Ask a physicist to explain gravity to you and define it and what it is and how it works. They can't. Um, so at any rate, uh, to the point, think of like wisdom. Think of Proverbs 7 and 8, where it talks about God creating wisdom. But think about that. Did God create wisdom? That is, was, was there a time when there was no wisdom? Well, that's nonsense, because then God wouldn't have wisdom. If there's no wisdom and God had to make it at a certain point, there would be no wisdom, even God wouldn't have wisdom. But Proverbs 8 is referring to God revealing you see his wisdom in creation. So I would argue this is the analogy that I would want to use, Norman. I would be, he doesn't make wisdom in the sense of, oh, it didn't exist before then. No, wisdom has always existed because it's an attribute of God. It's co-determinous with God because it's an attribute of his. 
But when he creates some things, when he does certain things, we see his wisdom. The wisdom was already there, but now the wisdom is manifested, made tangible for a week and grasp and go, wow, look at that. Think of somebody who makes a great painting or builds a, a phenomenal or, a building, architecturally speaking, or what have you. Uh, the, the wisdom didn't come about right when they made the building or what have you, but the building exhibits what was already in their mind. It demonstrates something that already priorly existed. Craig, can we... Can, I would argue analogously with the light issue. Can we put logic in that same category, Craig? Yeah, absolutely. Does God, I mean, is there a time when God doesn't have logic? Think of that. Any virtue or logic or any of the virtues or mathematics, did God learn mathematics? No. Uh, if you do, you've got some big problems with the nature of God. I mean, so, no, no, these things so exactly, Brian. So logic, the same thing has always existed, not independently of God, but it flows from God. It, it is one of his attributes. God is logical. God is rational. God is, is the ultimate mathematician. God is the ultimate engineer. So if you want to talk about creating things, you think people are really great. I see my kids, you know, when they're younger with Legos or with uh, the Star Wars, Star Wars Legos and things they can build. Well, God is, I don't mean to be disrespectful, God is the consummate builder, the ultimate architect and has designed the universe. Indeed, look at the human body. Look at the incredible intellect that goes into, uh, think of the complexity of the human eye, for example. And you say, well, we can make cameras now. Yeah, what does that prove? It took intelligent people years and years and years and years and years to make something that still doesn't rival God's creation of the human eye. Yeah, that's what I thought. So that's All right. Thank you so much. Norman, I hope that helped you out. And hope you're doing well, Norman. It's good hearing from you. Um, Let's go to Martha in West L.A. Martha, welcome to the show. How are you doing? I'm doing fine. Can you hear me? I hear you loud and clear. Your question for this evening, Martha. My question was about predestination. I went to a Presbyterian church today, which is my church, and he was talking about predestination. And when he got to the end, he said, you cannot say no. You have to say yes to Jesus. I thought to myself, if you have a relationship with someone and you don't want to be in it, do you have to say yes, Jesus? You cannot say no? I don't understand that. Craig, you ready for a, ready for a, a six-week class? <laughs> Well, thanks, Martha. And by the way, Brian, let me just say, actually, you and the callers are fading in and out. I, I'm getting interrupted, and so I, I think I understood the question, but I'm just let you know I'm having trouble hearing you clearly in the callers. But, Martha, I think oh. I heard enough of your question to answer. Okay. Well, yeah, yeah, because now the irony is many Presbyterian churches are no longer Calvinistic. They just have the name Presbyterian, but there are, of course, some who definitely hold to uh, the tenets of, of classical Presbyterianism, which would be Calvinistic. And that would basically, here's the deal, uh, parizo is a Greek word, and, and so I, I clearly believe in predestination. The debate yeah. comes on uh, on what basis or how does God predestinate. That's the $64,000 question. But the classical Calvinist position would be, would say, well, yeah, you don't choose. See, it's not your choice. God gives you what's called the effectual calling. There's what's called common calling and effectual calling. So the calling... The common calling, if you, you may know this, but I just want to review it in, for the sake of okay. our rest of our listeners, okay? So the common calling is anytime the gospel is preached, anytime somebody shares the gospel or somebody reads the Bible, if you will, and reads about salvation, that's the form of the common calling. It's going to all. It's common to all is the idea. But a person can't be saved from that. 
they can't. They don't just decide that they're dead in trespasses and sins. They don't just go, "Wow, this is guy. I'm convicted." Or this sounds pretty good. They would argue they're spiritually dead. They, they're not able to choose. But God, through the Spirit of God, gives them the effectual calling. And when the when the, the elect receive the effectual calling, then yeah, they don't have a choice, if you will. They will believe. There is no choice in the matter. They will believe because that's what it means to receive the effectual calling. That person re- receives grace. Uh, it, 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 there's what's called the ordo salutis, and this person will receive saving faith. And, and if you will, they will believe. And so there is no, quote-unquote, human choosing. That is, you don't go looking for God, and you don't make the decision really to, to trust in God. That is given to you uh, by the grace of God appropriated by faith, but again, that's all the work of God. So in, in that sense, that is completely consistent with classic Calvinistic theology, which would be, yeah, you don't choose, or I or to say it differently, you will believe. You have no choice. You will believe because that's what it means to receive the effectual calling. I see. Well, what if the person is abusing you? Well, yeah, I mean, and um, you know, there's all kinds of uh, issues here, but they would say, look, and, and I want to be careful here, because sometimes Calvinism is misrepresented, and some people have this idea that you, know, you, you basically trust in Christ and you can live like the devil, and that's not really class, that's not Calvinistic yeah. theology. Calvin yeah. or the great Calvinist theologians were very clear that, look, people will be transformed. Now, it's not all at once. I mean, you were saved at once, but sanctification is a lifelong process. And if someone truly is a child of yeah. that person can and will change, because Daddy's going to spank them, Daddy's going to conform them to His glorious image uh, by putting them into trials and tribulations, so that they will not, for example, abuse other people. Um, so, if we were talking and say, "I'm I'm your pastor and I'm talking to you," and you're talking about somebody, God forbid, I pray it's not your husband or what have you, but I'd say, "Well, look, if your if your husband really is the elect, then he's going to knock this stuff off." And I, I as the pastor of this church. I'm more than willing to go talk to him and or call the authorities, do whatever it takes. This is unacceptable. We don't just say, well, someone's the elect, and therefore they can do whatever they want. That, in fairness, yeah. is not classical Calvinistic theology. Okay, that, that is where, that's where I'm coming from. This particular person has been um, using me for a long time, and um, I finally said to him, well, I can't say yes and I can't say no, but I can say let's agree not to agree. Well, sure, and, and, and let me just say a couple things further. And I, I'm so sorry to hear this, Martha. We want to pray for you. Uh, you know, okay. uh, we would say Brian and I are both ordained ministers of the gospel. You know, we, we do not, you know, abuse. Uh, verbal, physical is unacceptable. And uh, yeah. I'll tell you right now, if, if I'm a pastor of a church and I find out a husband or somebody's abusing a woman, I'm calling the police. I'm going to talk to them, and I'm not going to put up with it. it it's unacceptable. Um but when we say, so, I wouldn't say this to you. Let me just reverse now. I wouldn't say, well, they're the elect, and, you know, so, hey, you just got to put up with it. You have no choice to put up with it. I'd say, no, you have a choice. God's, even even the classic definition of Calvinism through the Westminster Confession of 1645-1647, a very early confession of Calvinistic theology, would say, look, believers have choice as believers. And you have every choice and every right to say, I'm not going to put up with this. Right, and with the abuse, uh, I'm choosing before yeah, God. I, I spent 11 years saying no, and I finally got told that I couldn't say no. I mean, I couldn't wow. say yes, so I said no. And, well, uh, yeah, I would have wrong. to. 
because it got out into the community that I got everything that I wanted. And this poor guy was in love with me, and I have to say yes and all that. No, you don't. Don't look. God gives you as a believer. Uh, as a human being, you have volition. You have the ability to choose as a believer. And nobody has to just go. Look, some pastors, I'm just telling you, I don't know the whole circumstances. But yeah. if some pastor told me I had to marry somebody, I'd say, look, God's got my number. When he tells me that, I'll listen. You're not God. You're a fallible human being. And I'm not, you know, I take advice from other human beings, and the wise person receives yeah. advice because we all have blind spots. We all have areas we want to grow and mature in. But when someone starts telling me what God's will is for me, it's like he's got my phone number. He knows how to dial it, to speak metaphorically. Uh, I don't let somebody else yeah. try to tell me that. So I want, we want to pray for you, Martha, okay? This is a difficult right. situation, but this is where being in a solid Bible-teaching, believing church comes in. We have people, and I, I need to say this. They're not just. I don't think you can divorce spiritual health from emotional health. There's got to be emotional, mental health as well. And, yeah. and godly people will give you godly, sound advice. It won't be crazy-making. It's not going to be dumb, and it won't be emotionally unhealthy. And so... Someone says, well, you need to put up with somebody just abusing you. Now, look, if you're talking about an abusive marriage, there's a number of dynamics, but you don't just put up with it. Say, well, I'm married to you, so you can do whatever you want. You can use me as a punching bag. Well, no, 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 no. Yeah, well, I wasn't even married to him. Right, well, then that's all, that's, and that's what I thought I heard. So that's why I'm making the yeah. point. You don't have to put up with that. And somebody, you know, you know, let somebody manipulate you, tell you, well, you know, we belong together. And so yeah. and, and God's put us together, even though we're not married, you have to put up with my abuse. That's like, take a hike. I don't have to put up with any of that nonsense. I call the, I'll call the police is what I'll do. And well, well, that's why we're wise counsel. So. Yeah, so I'm sorry. I don't mean to step over you. Just again, you got you and Brian keep fading in and out of my line, but um, you know that's where it's so important. I think for women and men to have uh, men to have real good male friends and women to have women friends. Uh, not that you can't have the opposite sex friends, but my point is, is people who can give you counsel, who have your best interest at heart, who can help you see what's going on and say, wait a minute here, this person's taking advantage of you. You need to stand up for yourself. You need to, you need to cut off this relationship because this person's abusing you. Uh, you know, there are manipulative people, emotionally, spiritually, uh, economically, they all kind of, to me, flow out of one another. And, and, and Christians need to be wise and God doesn't call us to be doormats. Yeah, he calls us to be his servants. But it's, it, as, as a friend of mine who was a, a, a licensed counselor once said one time, and I thought was very wise, he said, look, it's one thing to get, let, give people, let people take. It's another thing for them just to take. If you choose yeah. to let people to, to, to give in a servant role, that's one thing. But just to let people abuse you and step all over you, that's, that's not healthy spiritually, emotionally, or otherwise. So, Martha, we want to pray for you. Can we do that? Yeah. Father, we thank you so much for our sister, and I'm sure there's others listening right now going, that's me, I'm in the same boat. Father, we pray that they would be healthy, that they would uh, put around them women who are emotionally healthy, spiritually healthy, who know you and who have their best interests in heart, in this case for Martha, what's best for her and what she needs, and that she'll receive sound spiritual and emotional counseling uh, from those who are in the know or at least have an objective uh, perspective can really input into her life, speak truth to her, and help her to see things as they really are. And we pray for those who might be under spiritual abuse, or maybe a so-called pastor or a pastor who's just confused on some things or is teaching something that's really not biblical and trying to get people to submit to things and concepts and ideas that are not really from you. Um, and so we pray for 
wholeness and health and well-being for Martha and all that's going on in her life and other women and men uh, who were in similar circumstances. We want to bring them before you and pray for your grace and favor and truth and perspective and counsel in their life that they might have healthy and whole lives, Father, and not allow themselves to be abused by manipulative people. In Christ's name, for his sake and his glory and our good, we ask this. Amen. Amen. Martha, Martha, thank you so much for your call and sharing. God bless you. Bye-bye. You're listening to the Bible Information Brokers. My name is Brian Allen with Professor Craig Hawkins. Let me give you the number, toll-free, 1-888-LA-TALKS, 1-888-528-2557. Once again, 1-888-LA-TALKS, 1-888-528-2557. Daryl is here to answer your uh, call, get you set up, get your question answered on air. 1-888-LA-TALKS, one 888 Five two eight two five five seven. Craig, we have a, a question. Um, it was an email question. Basically, what they wanted to know is, um, what does it mean to have the image of God? Okay, as, as Genesis talks about, you know, God made man in His own image. What does that mean? Insofar as are we gods, or um, what, do we have something in us? What does it uh, enable us to do? Uh, those types of things. Well, it's a great question. Now, Roman Catholics sometimes make a distinction, allegedly, between likeness and image, and I would argue, well, they're, they're synonyms. It's the same thing. It's like saying uh, uh, half a dozen or six. Uh, I'm saying the same thing, just two different ways. The Imago Dei, the Latin phrase, the image of God, refers to a number of things, and there's some very good books. Uh, systematic theologies have a good section in what's called anthropology, the study of hum- humans, of, of mankind, not just men, but mankind, human beings. And the image of God includes a number of things, but it means we're made in God's image in what are called the communicable attributes. There are some attributes that God communicates to us that we share in. So we're, we're, we haven't always existed. And if you have a birthday, you, you'll never uh, not have a time when you, you know, that you always existed. There's, you have a birthday. There's a time when you didn't exist. Uh, we'll never be omniscient or omnipotent, all-knowing or all-powerful. But we, we have the ability to learn things. We have the ability to think. That's part of the image of God. We have the ability, we have emotions. We're, we're capable of emotions from, from love to a- appropriate anger, but, uh, or otherwise, uh, compassion. These are emotions. Well, God is an emotional being. God has emotions as well, in the best sense possible, that is. Um, uh, God's a gregarious being, a social being. So are humans, some more or less, but we enjoy to some extent fellowship and relate to other human beings. We can create things. Now, we don't create things out of nothing, but we can take material, whether it's uh, yarn or thread, and make beautiful quilts or blankets or you know, clothing, whether it's a, gr- a great meal or foods, you know, dinners, if you will, or whether it's uh, buildings, cars, you know, what have you. Um, we're able to create things. That's another way we're made in God's image. So these are, these are attributes. So the image of God or the way we're made in God's image or his likeness are ways that we as humans are not divine. It doesn't make us God. See, we're never going to be God. There's only one God. God doesn't have a birthday. So if you have a birthday, you're not God, nor will you ever be God. There's only one God by nature, uh, 1 Corinthians 8, 4, uh, Galatians 4, 8. Just reverse those if you want to find those. 1 Corinthians 8, 4, Galatians 4, 8, among dozens and dozens of passages. There's only one God. We're not going to become a God. We're not going to become angels but we will come perfected human beings. But humans, one more time, are made in God's image. Now, much as I love dogs, dogs are not made in God's image. 
I'm not saying they won't be in heaven. You can't have a dog in heaven. But dogs are not made in God's image, but humans are. And again, because we can think, we can a reason, we can uh, volition, we have a will, we can choose or not, we have emotions. <coughs> Excuse me, we're social beings and so on and so forth. Those are ways we're made in God's image. But that doesn't make us divine, doesn't make us a potential God or a little God or otherwise. It makes us a human being because human beings are made, as Genesis 9-6 tells us, and what is it, James 3-9? Uh, Genesis 9-6, one more time, just turn it around, and James 3-9 tells us that humans are made in the image of God. All right. Thank you so much for that, Professor. Um, let's move on. We're going to go to South Bay, and we're going to talk to our friend Dan. Dan, welcome. How are you doing, my friend? Hi. Hi. Uh, well, well, I was making sure I was connected. I had buttons pushing on my phone. Okay. Uh, I had you unmute at first. So we're good. I got two things before I get to the question. First of all, hello, Brian. So you don't get insulted by me not saying hello. Exactly. Hello, Dan. <laughs> Hi, Craig. Well, I heard that part. Hi, Dan. Great to hear from you, as always. Oh, so your phone, your phone line's still not working well? Uh, it's cutting in and out. I, I feel like I'm trying to do like Morse code or something, trying to figure out what's being said. But yeah, you know, a little comment on that last on that other call to confuse. I don't know if a preacher's confusing what they call irresistible grace. I can't say no to to, to Christ calling me or to God calling me. That, but to confuse that with relationships with people that I can't say no, I don't understand that at all. Well, yeah, and those are two different things, right? One can well be true. Uh, you know, TULIP, the I, T-U-L-I-P, I would be for irresistible grace through what's called, the, I talked more about the effectual calling, but same thing. It's irresistible yes. because of the effectual calling. But that has nothing to do with me. I can't say no to some guy who thinks I should be married to him or I'm his girlfriend and he's going to abuse me. It's like, take a hike, buddy. I can say that exactly. all day long can and should yeah and i forgot my second point so it's okay i guess i'm not supposed to talk about it the uh oh i know what it was you said uh, i'm not saying that that you won't be able to have a dog in heaven so that means we'll have dogs in heaven i guess though we have no scripture for it i'm saying we may but by the way there's what's called a normative versus regulative principle of interpretation normative yeah. is look if a bible does it doesn't say anything about it it could well be true Regulative is, if the Bible doesn't say it, you probably should assume it's not true or you can't do it. I hold the normative view. So some things are just simply not addressed. But some people have well said, look, if animals are one of the ways that help completely make me happy, why, why would God not allow that? I mean, so... How would it be heaven without dogs? And, the lion, and we have scripture that says the lion shall lay down with a lamb. It seems to me that there's going to be animals. Well, so. that's at least in the millennial kingdom, I would argue. But yeah, of course. Yeah, so... There's, I mean, there's, let me just say this, Dan. There's nothing that Scripture says there won't be animals in heaven, and there's nothing that says there will be. Uh, but it's reasonable based upon other factors, I think, the ones that may well be. By the way, remember, we're going to be in the new, on the new earth. The new he heaven is going to be on the new earth. So right. this is earth. we have animals today. I mean, a lot of people, and I'm one of them, I, I love, I really enjoy animals. Uh, I know dogs don't uh, they, bite me, but other people's dogs, but, uh, you know, I really like them. And so I don't see God going, no, you can't have any animals. I have a, I have an anti-animal ordinance in my new heavens and new earth. You know? It, it could be, but I wouldn't that, bank on it. 
It seems that all creation fell when we fell, and that the animals will be restored to their glory as well as the rest of creation. Well, yeah, and losing the fear of humans, which is so often the case why, why there's problems, because animals fear us, and many times they, even dogs, uh, I mean, to get bit is to get bit, but, the, but, but many dogs are fear biters. They're actually scared of you, so they lash out. Yep. Okay, so to get to my question, uh, Nepal. Uh, you hear, heard in the past week that they criminalized uh, evangelization and conversion. Uh, and if you're, if you're found guilty of converting anybody from their religion, and it, didn't, it doesn't specify one, you know, if you converted somebody from Christianity to Hinduism, it just says any conversion at all from their former religion. Uh, you heard that they've criminalized that and putting a five-year penalty on it. No, I, uh, let me just say this. I did not hear they've actually done that, assuming that is the case. And, and Nepal's interesting because you find a lot of Hinduism, but also Buddhism. Some major stupas or uh, Buddhist temples are there. If you saw the movie Doctor Strange, they actually, I've actually been to that stupa that they, uh, is inside that circle that's a world-famous stupa. Oh, really? Uh, yeah. Anyway, so uh, Buddhism is very prevalent in Nepal, as is Hinduism. Uh, but it's more almost officially or more so they want to go back to Hinduism. So I, I did eighty percent Hindu. Yeah, yeah. So, um, but the Bo- Buddhism definitely has a representation there, and then Christianity is just a you know micro, you know uh, small numbers. There are Christians there. I know a number of them there. But so I did not know this. I've been so busy with other things this last week. But I'm not surprised because I've been to Nepal several times. Have a number of friends there, and I had heard. I was told that, yeah, they were wanting my one friend, Pastor Krishna, uh, had told me that uh, they were concerned that they, they, there was a whole movement afoot. There is a radical uh, fundamentalist Hindu movement also in India, and Modi is actually related to that, the prime minister, that wants to make India as uh, uh, Nepal and other nations officially Hindu. And so uh, I'm betting that's related to this, if indeed this is the case, which I'm not doubting you, then I didn't exactly hear of it this week, but I heard of the movement, yeah, a, a couple, number of years ago when I visited my friends in Nepal, because we've trained a number of pastors from Nepal and, and the trainings that I do over in India. Again, they're not just from India. They're from Myanmar, Bangladesh, Bhutan, which is officially Buddhist. And you'll get arrested there if you, if you uh, preach the gospel or try to convert somebody. So, yeah, this is many parts of Asia. This is how it is. I was just dealing with you know, leaders from Myanmar and Myanmar, you've got to be very careful because you can find yourself in big trouble uh, because it's basically almost officially Buddhist as well. And they persecute um, Muslims and uh, Christians and others. You've really got to watch what you're doing over there. Well, they, they had the bill, I guess, up in August, and the president signed it into law last week. Hmm. So, so I thought you'd find that interesting if you didn't know about it. Uh, no, five years prison and fifty thousand rupees, which happens to be around eight hundred dollars. But if you yeah. if you evangelize, uh, or if you have any of your trained pastors there, ministers there, and say they did ten people, I think they could give them five years for each conversion. Yeah, and if anybody's from out of the country, they will be. Uh, they'll get five years, and within a week after they get out, they go. They will have to be deported. Right, and here's the deal. Um, many countries have uh, these ID cards. So we have like a driver's license or whatnot. Well, many countries don't have a driver's license per se. They have an ID card, which would act as that as well. And on these cards, now some nations only have, for example, Buddhist, um, excuse me, um, uh, Muslim, for example. Uh, 
Uh, but but some of the countries will have Muslim, Christian, or and, and a few actually allow uh, Ju- uh, Judaism as well. But here's the deal: uh, these countries, many of them, not all, but most of them, you're not allowed to convert. And if you want to change your identity, you're in trouble. So if you've been put down officially, you know, on your card as, as you were raised, let's say, as a, as a Muslim, and you convert to Christianity, you can find yourself doing jail time and or otherwise. That's that's the interpretation how it would be applied here as well. So whatever your religion is, you couldn't, you can't change religion. Right. So they'll say, okay, fine. We don't want a lot of Christians here, but there are some. You can do that, but you you can raise your own kids that way. But don't proselytize. That's how it is in many Muslim countries. Keep it to yourself. Yeah. And if you proselytize, if you share the gospel with any non-Christians, uh-huh. you are uh-huh. in trouble. I.e., prison time, and or heavy fines, or or otherwise worse. Well, Apparently in Nepal, that the fastest-growing movement is Christianity, that it's going by leaps and bounds, and so they're trying to stop it. Well, see, so what they do, the Spirit of God is radically at work in, in, in Southeast Asia. I've been there a number of times, and I, I, that's why I've been going over there, because I'm so convinced God's at work, and we need to be sharing the gospel and training people over there. And so I've trained a number of people. I've gone to Nepal myself. Uh, you know, actually gone to the country and visited my friends and leaders over there. And we have pictures to prove it, too. Yeah, and, you know, and firsthand. And, uh, I I mean, it's very, you know, it's dicey. It's becoming worse for being a Christian, and people will start serving jail time for proselytizing. Yeah, because the Spirit of God's work, so what's what's the devil's answer? (laughs) Well, throw them in jail. Make it illegal. As if that's going to stop it. Exactly. They fight against principalities and powers and spiritual wickedness in high places, and the government is a high place. So Dan, and the yeah, so, work there. Well, right, Dan. So for example, so I was just in India, right, and then I yep. uh, went to. Uh, I was going into Myanmar on the border there, one part with India. I've come in Myanmar through actually um, through Thailand before as well, and so on. But it, here's the point. Uh, some of the pictures we weren't able to load up, but Brian did a great job of getting a lot of them uh, put up. I couldn't get some of them off one of my one of my phone cameras. But here's the point: you look at one of the pictures, and you'll see about 30 individuals. I was trained. There's actually more, but you'll see one picture. And a lot of those guys have been in jail, have been arrested for their faith in Myanmar because it's officially Buddhist, and the, and it, it can cost you very seriously. The one of the pastors you see a picture with me there with him. When he originally went to this area, this border area, right on the border, again, of uh, one of the states of India and Myanmar. So you have Hinduism and Buddhism. And the thing they had in common is that they don't like Christians. And they tried to kill him. They tried to stone him. Um, so we're talking, you know, Christians, it's not a sober people up in America. You know, I, I just don't know what it takes. It's like, I, mean, I have to take a bunch of people with me, I would guess, to see what goes on. And it's like, you know what, you need to wake up and smell the coffee. We have it so easy here, and, and things are going to change here if we don't get with it and protect our liberties and uh, and and be involved. I would argue political involvement. Now, I'm not saying merely political involvement. I I think it's praying like mad to the, the sovereign God and asking Him to protect us and give us peace and allow us so we can promulgate the gospel. But things are changing in America where people don't want to grant people their 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 amendment rights and speech. And in many parts of the world, that's how it is. That's why I'm always flabbergasted that Americans sometimes, they think you can go over there and just say anything and get away with it. And you're like, you're in another country. They don't play the way we do. You do this here, they'll kick you out. They'll throw you in jail. They'll fine you. I don't know who you think you are and where you are, but you're not in America. Wake up. You know, and uh, it's changing here as well. And, and we need to have a heart of compassion to our brothers and sisters who suffer persecution. 
uh, by the locals and or by the government um, for their faith. Um, so yeah, Dan, I mean, I did know that Nepal is actually, you know, apparently officially passed this, but I knew a number of years ago from visiting my friend from training, uh, he was coming to our to our training, uh, Pastor Krishna, for example. Um, but uh, I actually visited him in Nepal several times, and uh, yeah, I knew that things were not good there. In fact, I was told one time I went there, I said, you may not be able to get out of the airport. There's a bunch of protests going on. Uh, and I'm like, why me? Every time I go somewhere, like there's always some upheaval or whatever. And he says, you know, I'm not sure we can get you out of the airport, <laughs> but, but they were able to. So anyways, I'm glad you brought that up, Dan. Hey, Dan, thank you so much, and it's good hearing you as always, and I'm sure we're going to hear you next week as well. Hey, Dan, by the way. Yes. I want to return to your question, if not tonight, next week, on Ipsuma Verba and Ipsuma Vox, uh, the whole issue from the Latin of uh, the very voice of God, if you will, uh, or, or it's just, uh, is, is it the voice of God that is not the exact words Jesus uttered, or we have the exact words of Jesus, or it's just the voice? It's overall the accurate message. As I, I said, I hold the Ipsuma Verba, and I want to give you a number of passages and show you why I hold that. You might want to look at uh, at. Uh, his Rob's blog, um, it really gets into the detail on that. Yeah, yeah, and, and I was even looking yeah. up some Bible scholars actually that I did not know actually held the Ipsum of Vox, and I don't hold that view. I, the term I want was deputized speech. I mentioned the book Divine Discourse by by Nicholas Walderstorff, which he's not the only one, but an example of this. And I, I do not hold I hold it. It is it, verbatim, and I have a number of passages and arguments that I would like to give to you and to our listeners of why I hold to Ipsuma Verba, not just Ipsuma Vox. Okay, we'll talk about that next week. I need to give the room to the other callers, though. Thank you so much, Dan. You. Thanks, Dan. I always appreciate your call, brother, and especially the information you shared tonight. Take Love care, you. Dan. Love you, man. Love you, too. Sad Bye. to hear, but, uh, but we need to hear it. The church in the Western world needs to hear this. All right. Yeah, go to Nepal uh, and get arrested for preaching the gospel, trying to convert um, um Again, 80% Hindus and a, a large Buddhist population as well. All right, Craig, we're going to go to the Inglewood area, and we're going to talk. Is this Sabrina? Hello. Hello. Hi, is this Sabrina? Would you repeat that? Yeah, your name again? Sabira. Sabira. Okay. How are you doing, Sabira? I'm well this evening. Thank you very much. Great. Your question for this evening? Uh, one of the biblical-based um, uh, response to the question, why is Jesus uh, God? Why is he God? Well, uh, is he really God? Uh, something that would answer, in this instance, it answers, it's an endeavor to answer the question, you know, did Jesus say he was God? Uh, can you prove that he is God, biblically, uh, by someone who is my a son-in-law, he practices uh, Islam. And I am endeavoring to respond to that. Great. Yes. And you know what? If you hold on, I'd love to send you free a book by our good friend Sammy Tanago, and he deals with this issue. It's a book written that you could read on Islam, but it's actually designed you can give it to Muslims because it's done in a very uh, friendly um, uh, tone. And mm -hmm. it, it deals with, uh, I'm going to give you some material right now, but, but I just want to tell you, I, I'd love to make available free to you, no charge. We're not charging you anything. Give you a book that has uh, great arguments for the deed of Jesus. Of course, Muslims of all types, whether Shia, Sunni, or what have you, would deny uh, uh, the deity of Jesus. Indeed, they see that as circle, the worst of all sins, is attributing to God having a son. 
And we would argue with all due respect that indeed is what the Bible teaches. And actually the Quran ironically says the Bible is reliable and accurate and they should trust it, but they don't. And so they need to read their own Quran. And this, this book also has those passages. But let me give you a number of them. And, and let me just say this. So Jesus, yes, speaking to his culture, uh, claims to be divine. He claims to be the Son of God, God the Son. Now, Muslims deny that, but it's because of their theology they deny that. They claim that, they, well, that, that the Bible, well, has uh, been tampered with, and, and most of them have no background in biblical studies and textual criticism. The Bible is a very reliable book, and we give plenty of evidence for that. But right now, I would just like to give you some passages where Jesus basically, and he claims, and words claimed of him, he's divine. And okay. he, I have a free handout called Jesus is Yahweh or Jesus is Jehovah. And I go through dozens of passages, the clearest ones, I believe, that prove this. But let me give you some examples, okay? Okay, thank you. Okay, so uh, there's a number of them, and, and, I, and I would mention to you John 1, 1 through 3. You can just read that, and I think you'll see that, but I'm going to give you some other passages, because I'm going to give you the arguments for them. So, John, okay. if you have a pen and paper handy... Yes, and I'm again, writing by now. The way, mm-hmm. Good. And this will be posted up fairly soon, so you could re-listen to it if, if you don't get some of them, but... Uh, but, but, for example, from the Gospel of John. So you have John chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. But here we go, and I'm just going to summarize these for time's sake. But John chapter 5, same book, the Gospel of John, chapter 5, starting verse 16. Jesus heals somebody on the Sabbath, and they're upset at him. And he claims that God his Father also heals on the Sabbath, and so he can too. And they get it. When he claimed God was his father, he was claiming to be equal with God, and they want to kill him for it, because he's claiming to be equal with God. Right. So clearly, he claims it. You'll find that specifically in John chapter 5, starting verse 16, but 17 and 18, Jesus claims that, okay? Okay, I got that. Also, John 8, 24. I'll just give that to you. And John okay. eight fifty eight. Let me say this, so John 8, 24, 8, 58, then John chapter 10 is the next major section in John. In John 10, Jesus, he uses this phrase, I am the Father, in Greek he uses the plural verb, esmen, we are one. And he's claiming to be God, and they want to kill him for it. You find this in John chapter 10, starting in verse 30. In John okay. 10, 30, through about verse 38, but, for example, uh, they want to kill him. And then Jesus says in verse 33, why are you stoning? Uh, why, uh, uh, Jesus says in verse 32, so wh- I've done a lot of good works. Which one do you want to stone me for? And they say, verse 33, we are not stoning you for any of these, replied the Jews, but for blasphemy, because you, a mere man, claim to be God. Jesus claimed to be God, and they got it, because they tell us in John 19:7, we have a law, and according to this law, he should die because he claims to be God. So hmm. right after John chapter 10, verses uh, 30 through 36, then John okay. 19, 7, John 19, 7, okay? okay? That's why they killed him. And lastly, when O'Brien's favorite, and rightly so, John 20, 28, where Thomas says of Jesus, when Jesus appears to him, my Lord yeah. and my God. And Jesus doesn't go, yeah. hey, hey, knock it off. No, 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 no. I'm a, mm-hmm. I'm a prophet. I'm, a, I'm not the greatest prophet, but I'm a prophet. No, he receives the worship. He never tells anybody stop worshiping him, but he receives it because he mm-hmm. is the Son of God, God the Son. Gotcha. Okay? Yes. Thank you so much. And, My and, pleasure. And I think um, on uh, on our website, under resources, they have uh, they have a section on the Trinity, but in the Trinity, it talks about the deity of Christ, Jesus being God, and there's a 
bunch of passages on there that you can right. uh, add to from what the professor shared and, with you. And, and again, and because you're dealing with, your, you know, you said your son, is that right? Son-in-law. Son-in-law, sorry, thank you. Well, again, I have a book I want to give you free. We'll mail it to you for free, everything. So if you can just stay on the line, we'll get your address, make sure we do. And if you inadvertently get hung up on, please call back. Oh. Craig said to give you the address, and we'll send you this book. It's an awesome book. It'll help further equip you to share with your son-in-law on the deity of Jesus and other issues that are important to Muslims. But as well, you could actually give this book to your son-in-law and say, look, here's a book. Would you read this at least the first couple chapters? Because the first couple chapters, he's basically quoting the Quran that says the Bible's reliable and you shouldn't be disrespecting it. Don't disrespect <laughs> the Bible because you're going to be in trouble. And so uh, that's a powerful, uh, I believe, form of, of sharing the gospel. And we, I want to give that to you for, for free, okay? So you hold okay. on, and we're going to get that to you. And, and, okay. what, and here's, uh, you have Internet access, uh, Sabira? Yes, I do. Okay, go oh. to, yeah, I don't, have you been on our website before? No, in fact, uh, what, that was my next question. What is the website? Okay, it's BibleInfoBrokers.com, BibleInfoBrokers.com. Okay. Go on there. It'll say contact us. Okay. Uh, okay. I know your name. I know the city you're in. And if you can, just where it says uh, there's a little box where you can like put in a question. Okay. Where it says contact us. Uh, just leave your information in there. Okay. And okay. then uh, what I'm also going to do is I'm going to put you on hold and I'm going to have Daryl, our screener, um, get your phone number as well in that way in case I don't get this information from you. At least I can call you, okay? Okay, then. All right, hold on one second. Thank and you, Please all. feel free to call back the show again if you have any other direct questions. We, we love talking about these issues, and be really, uh, we'd be delighted to try to help you some more. Very good. Thank you so much. All right, hold on. Okay. Okay, Daryl, if Daryl can get, okay, great. Okay, let's go to Buena Park and talk to Lee. We have about five minutes left in the show. Lee, welcome to the show. How are you doing? Just splendid. Thank you. Great. So my, my question, well, I have uh, conversations with some folks, and they say uh, everybody is going to heaven. And, uh, and in a sense, I agree with them. And I said everybody's going to heaven, and then the judgment. Now, my question is, where is this great white throne judgment going to take place? Good question, Craig. Yeah, it doesn't really tell us. It just tells us in the presence of, in a radical sense, uh, the presence of God in Revelation 20. So uh, the, the actual location of it, in quote, is not really told to us that I'm aware of. Uh, it just simply tells us it's going to be. So uh, that's the $64,000 question. Lee, maybe you can find out and tell us. But, uh, but all I know is it's going to happen. It's going to be at some location. It's kind of like sometimes I teach a class at a university, and, or, or I've taken classes throughout the years, and they'll say, uh, room to be given or whatever. In other words, the meeting's going to happen. We don't, we don't have us humans have the current location, but it, we know it's going to take place. And you're absolutely correct, unfortunately. They are going to heaven in one sense, the presence of God, and that, but that will be for the judgment according to their works, and they will not will make it based upon their own works. I, I think one of, the, the comforting, one of the comforting things about our faith is this that there is, when we see so much unrighteousness and so much inequity going on in the world, and it looks like uh, Psalm 73, the wicked are prospering, mm -hmm, and, mm -hmm. you know, and why am I being righteous? I mean, if I were to discuss some of these things, I would be, uh, I would be adversely affecting some Christian's yes. faith. 
Yes. So I'm saying, and then all of a sudden, there has to be a judgment. Yeah, there's, I, I'm with you. Uh, Hebrews 9, uh, 20, really about 24, 25 through 28, the point of the man wants to die in judgment. You're right, there's, there's going to be a reckoning. Nobody's getting away with anything. They uh-huh. temporarily, uh, there's a suspended sentence, if you will. But, but the biblical view is, if a, for people who do not repent of their sins and trust in Jesus Christ as the Lord and Savior, then they are going to face him as the, not as their Savior, but as their judge. And mm-hmm. no one's getting away with anything. Mm-hmm. Everything He's going to hold everybody accountable for every little thing they did wrong. You know, all the little lies they told, all the things they stole, from office supplies to whatever. To all, you know, and let's face it, there are major, there's people who murder people and have quote unquote, gotten away with it in the human realm. But God mm-hmm. says, uh-uh, in my courtroom, nobody gets away with anything. Uh, God has, can I say it, this is kind of goofy, the ultimate video surveillance equipment. Uh, everything's documented. Nobody's getting away with anything. And people are only just, the only fun they're deceiving is themselves thinking they're going to get away with it. You're absolutely right. Ily, we have about a minute and a half left in this show. Thank you so much for your uh, call. Good question. Thank you. Uh-huh. God bless you. Bye-bye. Mm-hmm. Craig, uh, got about uh, about about forty five seconds. You want to uh, share your final thoughts? Yeah, thanks, Brian. First Thessalonians five tests all things, examine it, even what we say holds to what is good. We started the program out celebrating the five hundredth anniversary of the Protestant Reformation. Sola Scriptura, you know, to the glory of God. You bet. But uh, what's the source of authority? It's not your pastor. Your pastor's authority is derived, it's derivative. It's from God, as that pastor is faithful to the Word of God. The goal is to be faithful to God's Word. That's what matters more than anything else, I would argue, in human life. Because by doing that, you will be loyal to God. So it's loyalty to God, but if you're faithful to His Word, you will be loyal to Him. And that's what matters for all eternity. Amen. Uh I'd like to go one place. We got about 45 seconds, and I'm turning my Bible. I should know it by heart. It says, um, was making every effort to write you about our common salvation. I felt the necessity to write to you, appealing that you contend earnestly for the faith, which was once for all delivered to the saints. Ladies and gentlemen, we want to thank you for joining us this evening. Um, Great questions, as always. Uh, Keep us in prayer. And um, we're going to be back next week, uh, Lord willing, with another edition of the Bible Information Brokers. On behalf of the professor, I want to thank our engineer. I want to thank Daryl, our screener, and um, uh, Professor Craig Hawkins as well. We'll be back next week, Lord willing, with the Bible Information Brokers. Good night and God bless.